Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you for the beauty of your love. And God, we thank you for the beauty of your church. God, that you have called us to gather together, to come together, to fellowship together, but ultimately to worship together. And so we say thank you for this opportunity to do that this morning. God, it is such an honor, it is such a privilege to be able to sing, to even have air-conditioned buildings, all these things that don't necessarily matter, God. We are grateful that we have them for the higher purpose of laying down our lives in worship of Jesus. And so, God, may we continue to do that just as your word is preached, God. Hide my words behind the cross. God, may you be the one teaching and leading and guiding all of us this morning so that we can know you more, that we can live for you more, God, that we can impact the world with your love in an increased ability each and every day. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. praying for you all, for sure. So this morning, please share. Miss Edith must have a direct connection to the Lord because she was kind of hinting on the second point of the sermon today. So thank you for already leading the way in that. So we are wrapping up this series, The Word Is. We're talking about various different characteristics of God's Word and how it impacts your life and how it impacts my life. So today we're talking about The Word Is Revealing. And so we're going to go ahead and read the kind of the, the focus scripture that we've been reading every week during this sermon from 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as we're talking about how God's word is revealing, revealing is a pretty interesting word because depending on what is being revealed, it's a really good thing or it's a really bad thing, right? And so what is being revealed makes a huge instance. For instance, uh, I think two weeks ago, I was at the Chesney Spring Band concert, and all during the concert, they're hyping up at the end that they're going to reveal the new theme for band camp and what the, the marching band's gonna play. And so they keep hyping it up, hyping it up, and you can tell everyone in there who's part of marching band is really, really excited for this great reveal at the end. There's this enthusiasm going on in the reveal, right? Or you can look at a bad reveal. So in the NBA, they determine who gets what draft pick and stuff like that. If you are the worst team in the league, you have the best chance of getting the best draft pick. If you're the best team in the league, you have the worst chance. But they all get a certain amount of ping pong balls, and it all determines who gets what pick. So they're revealing it, pick 14, 13, like every pick's kind of going as it's supposed to. But every year, someone gets a pick that defies the odds. And so the Portland Trailblazers had their best player, Damian Lillard, representing them, and they had the six best odds. And so the Trailblazers are hoping to beat the odds and get like the fifth pick, the fourth pick, something like that. And then they're going through the picks. They get to pick number seven, and I believe there's a picture that will be on the screen of D Damian Lillard's reaction when the Trailblazers got a bad reveal for their draft pick. Right? He covers his face. He is not excited. He is not thrilled because the great reveal was really bad for him. Right? They got worse odds than they were supposed to get. And so depending on what is revealed determines our reaction. Right? And so when it comes to God's word being revealing, that is really good in some ways. In some ways, it is really challenging. It's never bad, but God's word will reveal some challenges for your life and for my life. So the first point of what we're, I just got two points for you tonight, or today, since we've already kind of had a little bit of stuff going on. Two points before we get out to the picnic. The first point is the word is refuting. So the word is refuting. And as someone who's a peacemaker, I like to make peace in situations. I don't like confrontation. I don't like challenging people over stuff. This isn't always my favorite thing to point out. But God's word is very much refuting. It will bring correction. It will bring changes when we interact and connect with God's word, when we connect with the scriptures. There is always an element of refuting and rebuking in God's word. And that's a good thing at the end of the day. So Titus chapter 1, verses 9, we read a little bit about this. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, talking about the scriptures, as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Part of God's word, part of the Bible, part of the scripture, and as we learn more about it, means that there will come times when we have to refute other people, when we have to bring correction to other people. And it's not something always the most exciting, but it is true. Because in all of history, there are always conflicting ideas. Right? All of us have different ideas about tons of different things. No one ever agrees 100% on anything. And so as Paul is writing here, that Christian leaders must always hold firmly to the trustworthy message, must hold firmly to the scriptures, and must hold firmly to the fact that Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and taught really, really good things. 
Uh, And so as I have read God's word before, as I've read the scriptures just on my own or getting ready for sermons or whatever it might be, I've read it and I've been refuted. My ideas, I've thought one thing and then I'm turning through the pages of scripture, reading the teachings of Jesus and I'm like, oh, I have something that I think that is contrary to scripture. And at the end end of the day, if God says one thing in the Bible and I think something different, who needs to change, me or God? Clearly not God, me. And so God refutes some of my ideas, and the more I get in line with what the Scripture teaches, what Jesus teaches, what the Bible says, the more that I'm able to walk with Christ and have the the fulfillment, the fulfilling life that Miss Edith talks about, the joy and love and peace and all of those things that God offers us. Uh, I get that as I allow Jesus to refute my wrong thinking, my wrong ideas, and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, When we follow Jesus, it will always lead to a place of conflict to some extent in our lives because Jesus lived a life of pure love. He lived a life of pure love, the most loving person ever on the planet. Does that mean he didn't have conflict in his life? He had a lot of conflict in his life. In fact, he died over conflict, right? Even though he was the purest form of love ever to walk the planet, there were still challenges and difficulties that he faced. So as his followers, we should expect the exact same thing. As we hold closely to his teachings, as we hold closely to his way, his way of love, we can expect that there will be a time when we have to refute other people's thoughts and ideas and actions. And that's going to mean inside of the church and outside of the church. There are going to be people in in Christian world who are going to have some ideas that need to be corrected, and there are obviously people outside of the church have ideas that need to be corrected as well. So there's an element of where there needs to be some rebuke going on. Uh, and it's, think about some of the most basic Christian beliefs, just for instance. Uh, God exists. Are there people who do not believe that? Yeah, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. And so there's some sort of conflict that we'll have to rebuke and refute these false ideas and that God does exist. Uh, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Does culture like that idea? No, it doesn't. We're going to come back to that idea at the end. So there's an, an element where we have to rebuke cultural thoughts and cultural ideas. Uh, we're sinners in need of grace. That's a common Christian teaching. The world doesn't like that we are sinners, right? The world, oh no, people are just good people, uh, which doesn't make sense because if you've ever turned on the news or opened the internet to any extent, you will see that people are not very good people, right? It doesn't take long to see that there are a lot of evil people in the world and the world likes to just say, oh, that's not sinful, that's not wrong. Yet we all are sinners in need of grace. All of us included in that. We're not pointing fingers at this person, that person, or the other. All of us are sinners in need of God's grace, right? God created marriage to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Culture isn't so quick on affirming that, right? We must repent from our sin. Culture doesn't like the idea that we have to say no to certain desires that we have and say yes to Jesus's way of life, right? Culture likes to talk a lot about, well, you just have to accept the dark side of me. So I knew a guy uh, who became a Christian, but before he was a Christian, he kind of had this mentality of, I'm just going to be who I'm going to be, and you have to accept me for who that is. So he was married, and he struggled with pornography, and he just told his wife one day, who was obviously upset about his addiction, that if she wants to stay married to him, she's just going to have to accept him the way he is. That's just how he is, and he's going to look at it all the days of his life. And that's not how it should be, right? We all have to understand we have to repent. We have to turn from our sin and we have to turn from Christ. And he did become a Christian and walked away from that temptation and that sin. And the marriage has been uh, strengthened through that. The pursuit of truth 
is paved by correcting people's wrong ideas and wrong actions. It's not exciting. It's not fun. At least for me, I don't enjoy that. But it's a basic concept of life, right, with teachers. There are a lot of teachers, a lot of good teachers in the world. Teachers give what? Tests, right? So they give a test. What's on a test? There are questions. And when you give a question, are there right? Is every answer right? No, there are what? Wrong answers. So it's the basic concept of life that there are wrong ideas and there are right ideas. And so think about it this way. When it comes to the need for God's word to refute or rebuke or bring correction into certain ideas and actions in life, let's say there was an automotive engineering teacher who was teaching students how to to build cars, to work on cars, and to correct problems in cars and stuff like that. And this teacher never corrected or rebuked the students for anything wrong they ever did. Right? The, the teacher's looking over their work and like they're not doing anything right. The car's in terrible shape. And the teacher's like, oh, that's really good. You tried really hard. I'm really proud of you. Would you want to drive in that car? No. Why not? Because it's either going to blow up or not going to go anywhere, right? There has to be a need for the teacher to bring correction. And it doesn't have to be from a hurtful or harmful way of life. In fact, any good teacher is going to bring that correction in a, a humble, good way. But there has to be correction. Or think about it not with a car, think about it with a cosmetologist, someone who's learning how to cut hair. And they're learning how to cut hair, uh, and every time they're learning how to cut hair, their teacher is there, and they never bring correction, and they never rebuke them for wrong things. And no matter who came to that person, they're going to cut their hair. They just gave every single person a bowl cut. Guy, girl, young, old, whatever, they wanted their came to get their hair colored, and they're just like, you get a bowl cut. Everyone gets a bowl cut. Would you want to go to that person to get their hair cut? Absolutely not, right? Because the teacher never brought the correction in teaching how to cut different styles of hair. And so when it comes to our life as Christians, spiritually, the same thing is true. We have to be willing to bring correction in the right way. But that's an important part of it. When we bring correction, because God's word, it's going to conflict with our ideas, other people's ideas. When we have to bring correction or rebuke, we have to do it in the right way, which coincidentally, the scriptures teach us how to do that. We don't have to wonder about that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If we want to be mature in our faith, yes, we have to speak the truth, but we speak the truth in what? Love. It makes all the difference in the world. As Christians, it is our responsibility to help others live in the truth. It is better for people to live in the truth in the ways of Christ. When we live in line with our creator and in his ways, our lives are going to be better. There's going to be difficulties. Don't get me wrong. There's going to, following Jesus is not always easy. But when we do things Christ's way, there is such a little level of satisfaction and peace that you cannot find in any other way of life. And so when we bring correction, we have to do it in the right way. So let's think about this for a second. Raise your hand if you've ever been corrected in a way that was humiliating, hurtful, and unhelpful. Anyone ever been corrected in a way that was unhelpful and humiliating? Yeah, sign me up. Now, the other unfortunate thing that has happened, raise your hand if you've ever been corrected by someone, by a Christian, in a way that was humiliating, hurtful, and unhelpful. Anyone? I'm not the only one, right? Right? This is an unfortunate truth that even in Christian world, as people try to bring correction and rebuke, we get the truth part. Like I feel like in the church, we get the truth part pretty good for the most part in our world, but we often neglect the love part. 
we have to remember it. We have to do it in love. So when I was in youth ministry at another church, there was, speaking of senior Sunday, there was a senior in high school. It was probably, I don't even think it was September. It was the first two or three weeks of school, and he dropped out of high school. And so he, he didn't really come on Sunday mornings, but he was there most Wednesday nights and most Sunday nights. And so one Wednesday night, everyone's hanging out, the youth, the kids, the adults, everyone's there, and word kind of spread that he dropped out of high school. Dropping out of high school, not the best idea. And so I kind of like had this little side conversation with him, like, hey, so I heard you dropped out of high school, and talked a little bit about it, but everyone's out and about, so what I wasn't going to do was humiliate him, embarrass him, and just, like, thoroughly question him over this in front of everyone, right? I was going to pull him aside later and have that conversation. Well, there was this man at the church who had every great intention, uh, and he kind of, in front of everyone, decides to scold him and blast him for dropping out of high school. It was very public in how he did it. And now this person knew the, the youth, but he didn't know him very well. And so he basically just, he comes and he has this whole scene where everyone witnesses and hears him say that he's stupid for dropping out of high school, he's never going to amount to anything, he's never going to accomplish anything, and he needs to go back to school the very next day. And the truth of the matter is, all of those things were pretty accurate, right? It's, now, you can succeed without a high school degree, but it's hard to do that, right? It is much more wise to stay in school, get your degree, get your education. It's going to be a lot easier for you going forward, right? And it was true that he needed to go back to school that next day. He hadn't been dropped out long. He could have gone back and started back school right away. So the content of what this man at church said was true, but how he said it was not helpful, right? And so this person was kind of shamed and embarrassed. He was someone who was there almost every single Wednesday for five years, and he was there less and less and less his senior year after that moment because he just didn't want to be around this person who embarrassed him so thoroughly, right? And so when we tell the truth, we have to tell the truth in love. We have to be careful not to share the truth in ways and settings like that where we're going to hurt people and harm people in the process. Think about Jesus when he encountered the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman was living in sin. She'd had five husbands. The person she was currently with was not her husband. Did Jesus say, hold on, on, let's go into, so the, into Samaria and then have a conversation about this. No, it was Jesus and the Samaritan woman. No one else is around. Yes, Jesus corrects her. He points out her sin. He's not afraid to tell her the truth, but he doesn't put her on blast for the whole town to hear. Right? She kind of does that to herself a little bit later, but Jesus does not publicly humiliate her in any way. And you look over and over and over about Jesus' interactions with people. He never is going and humiliating people, even though he is constantly bringing correction to people's sin. And so we have to have the attitude of Christ to, yes, bring correction, but do it in a way uh, that is good. Because Jesus, yes, he pointed out our sin, but he pointed to himself as the living water. The main point when we rebuke people, main point when we show people's God's word and they, there is correction that needs to happen, the main point isn't pointing out the sin and the wrong. The main point is to point to the living water. That is Jesus. That should be our goal. Winning an argument is worthless if we damage people in the process. God's word will re result in correction and rebuke, but when we're talking with people and a correction needs to be made, we must be more concerned with, we must not be more concerned with making a point than we are with saving a soul. Saving a soul is always the primary reason of why we bring rebuke, and it's an important part of it. 
I came across this quote that was really good. It was actually in, uh, in a commentary about a verse that we're going to read a little bit later, but I think it fits really well here. It's from Dr. Richard Eck- Eckley. While our churches seek to respond to the desperate needs of our society, they must continue to remain faithful to the apostolic message. So we've got to remain faithful to the word as it was revealed in the beginning. The right blend of tolerance and intolerance is crucial if we are to help our hurting world without soiling ourselves in the process. And so when it comes to this, we have to have the right blend of tolerance and intolerance. The intolerant part is if you can point to the scriptures with a chapter and verse, like such and such book, such and such chapter, such and such verse. The Bible has clearly laid it out. God has revealed his will. That's where we are intolerant. We don't let people live contrary to God's word because we want the best for them. Right? Living in accordance with God, when we read his word and live it out, that is good. We were we never going to cave on that. We cannot cave on the word of God as it has been revealed. But the things that aren't revealed in scripture, our personal preferences, our ideas, even sometimes our non-biblical traditions, those are things that we can be tolerant on. We can say, you know what, we don't have to make a big deal over this. We don't have to bring correction and rebuke over every little thing. But when it stands in contrast to God's word, that is when as, as Christians, it is our responsibility responsibility to love our brothers and sisters and bring that correction when they are living like that. So that's kind of the bad reveal, right? God's word is revealing, and that means there's going to be confrontation, there's going to be rebuke, there's going to be correction. But the good news, which is what Miss Edith was talking about a little bit earlier, is as we talk about God's word being revealing, the word is rewarding, right? The word is rewarding. It's the exciting part. When we think about big reveals, uh, you know, Think about a wedding, for instance. So Christine and I got married five and a half years ago. Uh, Before the wedding, we weren't one of those people, you know, for a long time, the bride and groom never saw each other until the the bride walks up the aisle and there's all the tears and stuff like that. Well, we took pictures before the ceremony, and so we didn't have that moment there, but we did have a first look. And so there was the big reveal. I was going to get to see Christine for the first time on her wedding day. And so the church we were at at the time, we were out by the garden, and I'm outside, everything's behind me, and I'm just like looking off, just kind of like, well, I wonder what's going to, when's the reveal? I'm anticipating the reveal of seeing my, my bride for the first time that day, right? And so I'm looking forward to this. It's very exciting. And then all of a sudden, the photographer's there. She's ready to take pictures, see my reaction and Christine's reaction, stuff like that. And Christine taps me on the shoulder, and I turn, and there in front of me was a giant picture of our three-bedroom, two-bathroom house that we were going to live in. No, right? Not at all. That would have been a huge letdown, right? And so... I get tapped on the shoulder and I turn, and there is this table full of gifts that we're going to get at the wedding, and it's this great, wonderful reveal. No, right? That's not what I'm looking forward to, right? Yeah, it was great that we had a house that we were going to get to move into. It was great that people were generous to us and gave us gifts, but is that what that day is all about? Absolutely not. The reward of marrying Christine was not a house, The reward was not gifts. The reward was not anything like that. The reward is being married to Christine. And so when it comes to our relationship with Christ and the word being revealing, the reveal and the reward is Jesus himself. It is knowing him. It is having a relationship with him. It is the love that he has for you and getting to know and experience that each and every day. That is the greatest thing in the whole world. Like Miss Edith was saying, I love my wife, I love my family, I love this church, I love so many things, but all of them pale in comparison to the love that 
Christ has for me and the love that I have for him. Christ is the most important person in my life. And he loves me. And once again, Christine is amazing. She is a fantastic wife. I would say she's the best wife in the world. She loves me very well. But even in the midst of that, Christ loves me countlessly more than she does. I know I can always go to Christ for encouragement. I can go to Christ for peace. I can go to Christ for joy. All of those things, Christ will supply that for me, and he will supply that for you. Jesus himself is the reward, not just his stuff. Imagine me going to Christine and saying, I can't wait to get married so I can have all this stuff that you have. You've got a lot of good movies, uh, your Fiero that you had, great car. I want all this stuff. That's why we're going to get married. Do you think she would be interested in that? No. Should she be interested in that? Absolutely not, right? The stuff is nice, but it is not the reward itself. And the same thing is true with Christ. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you want eternal life today, which hopefully you do, you don't have to wait till you die to have that. We get to have that now because we know Jesus Christ, right? He is the reward, and we can walk and step into that reward today. He is worth it, he, and that's why he's the only way to heaven. We can talk about Jesus being the only way to heaven because he is heaven. He is eternal life, right? The reason no other religion or no other religious leader or person or money can take you to heaven is because Jesus is the path to heaven, but he is the destination as well, And so we have to go to him to have eternal life because that is eternal life, knowing Jesus and his love and compassion and mercy, right? And so he kind of makes this clear in another passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious... Right? So we've been faithful. We are receiving our reward because of the victorious faith that we have in Christ. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on his throne. If you're looking forward to the reward that Christ has for you, all of us, Christ is at the door knocking on the door of the church and he's calling and beckoning us to him and to receive our reward. And what is that reward? Yes, there's going to be streets of gold, and yes, heaven's going to be this amazing place. But the best part is that we get to sit at the table with Christ. We get to share a meal with him. We get to know him, and we get to have that relationship with Christ for all of eternity. He is the reward, and we shouldn't take that lightly in the here and now, right? Heaven's going to be better because it's going to be minus all the hurt, minus all the pain, minus all the suffering. Those are all things to look forward to, but the greatest part that we should seek after and look forward to is something we can participate in the here and now, and that's knowing Christ, and that is eternal life. If you're looking for a reward of money, of mansions, of cars, of personal beauty, fame, or anything like that, you're looking in the wrong place, and you're looking for the wrong thing, right? All of those things are, none of those things are bad. I would love mansions and money and cars and all stuff like that, Uh, but all of those things are so much less satisfying than the creator of the universe who loves you and loves me. To know that you can have confidence in who you are and who God has made you to be and all that he's calling you to and the love that he wants to pour into your life because God wants you to walk in love. God wants you to know that you are loved and he wants to reveal that to you each and every day. 
Jesus is the best reward possible. So think about all of the beautiful things God has made for a second. Mountains, stars, oceans, sunrise, sunset, birds soaring, dolphins leaping, beautiful summer thunderstorms, all of those beautiful things that God has created. And that the powerful creator of the God, powerful creator God, he wants to love you, right? All of those beautiful things, mountain stars, all that. He wants to love you and know you. That's the fullness of the power, his power. That's the fullness of his beauty. And he wants to pour that into your life today. He doesn't want you to live a life of stress and anxiety, of hurt and pain. He wants you to live a life full of love and compassion and peace and joy. And that's what he offers to you today because he offers himself to us today. And so let's, as a church, make sure we are taking hold of and striving after the true reward that is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and I'm going to pray for the food that we're going to uh, eat at the battleground as well. And so once we get there, we can just start uh, eating and playing and stuff like that. So let's all pray together, and then we can be dismissed and head to the battleground. Lord, we do just thank you. God, you are good, Jesus. And God, I pray that today, right now, even as we are praying, that you will reveal to us just another glimpse of your beauty and your love, that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are worth it, that you are the true reward worth seeking. God, in life, that we won't seek primarily after wealth or fame or beauty. God, those things are good. But God, that we will seek after you, Jesus. We will seek to know you. We will seek to know your word. God, you have revealed who you are, and I pray that each and every one of us will take time to dive into your word, to dive into the scriptures, and to see more and more of your beautiful character. And God, that we will know not just that you are somewhere out there in the cosmos as this beautiful creature, but God, you are here in our midst. Jesus, that you want to know us personally. You want to pour your love directly into each and every one of our lives. So I pray today and tomorrow, all this week, all this month, all this year, that we will encounter the true love of Christ that overwhelms every other thing in this world. God, may we know the truth of your love today. And God, as we go to the battleground, we do pray that you will bless the food, God, that you'll bless the time together, and that we can just fellowship with each other, encourage each other, and point each other towards you even as we laugh and play games and have fun. So God, bless that time for your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.